Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. But let's start out the show by thanking our lovely Patreon contributors. These people donated over at patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. This week we had Jess Beverly, Shay, Jessica, Megan, Kay, Chad, Ivy, Lexi, Jasmine, Erica, Anahai, Mel, Ashley, E, and Holly. Thanks, guys. Thank you guys so much. This is a story I've been interested in for a very long time. I've thought of doing it for a while, so I'm finally doing it because it's sort of the anniversary of the event is coming up. And this is uh, the story of Diane Fossey, which was the basis of a movie that I loved as a kid called Gorillas in the Mist. Did you see that movie? I never with saw Sigourney it. With Sigourney Weaver? I know the movie, but I've never saw okay. it. Okay. Uh, so let's get into this uh, story um, of her life and her mysterious murder. And then there's some um, stuff that was not in the movie that we'll get into that is like pretty wild because it's definitely a cleaned up biopic yeah. for sure. But it's a good movie. So I definitely recommend it. So some of the um, articles uh, I used for this was um, a BBC article called The Woman Who Gave Her Life to Save the Gorillas by Melissa Hagenboom. Why Dan, uh, Why Was Diane Fossey Killed, which was from the Christian Science Monitor. The writer was Fabian Tepper. And Giants of the Jungle, um, which is a Wall Street Journal article by Tanku Varadaraja. Okay, so... Um, Diane Fossey was born in San Francisco. Her parents were divorced at a very early age and she pretty much lost contact with her bio dad. Like the mom was like, bye. Like, wow. and he just did it, I guess. Um, and that really sucked because she had like an awful fucking stepdad. Now he wasn't like abusive or anything, but he was like cold, never really treated her, uh, like his own child. He was really strict and one of those kind of like children should be seen and not heard type of adults, like, yeah. which I think was popular back then, not popular, but whatever. <laughs> like he wouldn't even let her eat p- with her parents at dinner time. Ew, it was like, no, this popular. is like adult. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> no, it was, it's crazy. Now, because of this, Diane is, was very insecure and became very attached to animals at a, at a young age. So they kind of gave her the love and acceptance that she craved and she had this responsibility and they kind of needed her. So you can kind of see why she sort of got into them. Her first pet was a goldfish. And then she later became a horse girl, uh, like an equestrian, like really riding horse. Yeah. So she's a horse girl, but we'll give her a pass. (laughs) (laughs) Rachel and I are a little anti-horse girl. We're just not horse girls. I'm not anti-horse girl. I'm just the furthest thing from a horse girl. Me too. Like I didn't, I, I had a really close friend who was a horse girl actually. Right. Which is like, seems off brand for me, but. I wasn't a horse girl, but I definitely was like, oh, ponies are cute. Like I liked ponies and horses, I went to but s- I didn't ride them. I went to sleepaway camp and I, 
they had like horseback riding there. I went to sleepaway camp one summer and they had horseback riding there and I tried to become a horse girl that summer. But it failed miserably in like the most Rachel Fisher way possible. Basically, like I like got up at six a.m. to like go to the horse stable and like clean the horse's feet and like learn how to do all the shit. And then they're like, "All right, ladies, we'll see you back here at six a.m." And I overslept, and they kicked me out of the horse group. I mean, it's a lot of responsibility and work. You have to really love horses, and I do like horses. I like all animals. I'm just not a horse girl. Yeah. Well. Diane was, and uh, but you know she put that aside for a while. She went to business school at College of Marin, but after spending a summer at a ranch in Montana, she switched over to a pre-veterinary course at um, UC Davis. Her stepfather was not pleased about this, um, but Diane loved animals, bitch, and he didn't like it. He did not. They both cut off. They, the parents cut off all financial support. That's mean because she uh, chose to go this route. So she took jobs to support herself and pay for her school. At department stores, she worked as a machinist in a factory, like whatever she could to like pursue this. Now, she eventually started having trouble with some of the more difficult science classes because pre-vet is like pretty serious. Uh, you know, it's not like doctor, but like it's a lot of those chemistry and like, you have to take all these science You're classes. still like a doctor. Yeah. So she kind of wasn't that great in those subjects, even though she was a good student. And she switched over to occupational therapy, receiving a degree in 1954. And then she began her career as an occupational therapist with tuberculosis, uh, tuberculosis, tuberculosis patients. She was a very reserved and shy, and this actually made her sort of a natural to work with children, which she started doing. She moved to Louisville to work as an occupational therapist at a hospital there. She continued to ride horses and actually became friends with a coworker who had a family farm where she started spending a lot of time. This family also kind of gave her this experience of being in a close-knit family, which she had never experienced before as well. So... Her lifelong dream was to go to Africa. According to her, and this is a quote, the thought of being where the animals haven't all been driven into little corners attracts me so much. In 1963, she borrowed $8,000, which was one year's salary, and took out her life savings and went on a seven-week visit to Africa. In September of 1963, she arrived in Nairobi, Kenya, uh, and there she met actor William Holden. He was like a pretty big animal rights activist. Uh, so he had a home, like, um, like an animal reserve there called treetops hotel. He introduced her to a safari guy named John Alexander, who kind of became her guide for those seven weeks and sort of took her all around Africa. Now, during this trip, she met renowned paleoanthropologist, Louis Leakey. He was there, uh, studying the fossil the fossils of like human beings, but he realized that to understand how humans evolved, people needed to focus on our closest relatives, the apes. So he had already helped uh, researcher Jane Goodall set up a study on chimpanzees, and he really wanted someone to start a similar thing for gorillas. At the time, little was known about mountain gorillas, gorillas, one of the two subspecies of the Eastern gorilla. They're so cute. Yeah. So in the films like up until that point like what people had an impression of mountain gorillas what they were like violent brutes and like hunters would say that if you got really close to them they would charge at you and kill you so they had this reputation as being these like brutal fucking beasts right and they're scary because they're fucking big like 
Honestly, gorillas are one of my favorite animals. Right. But they're huge. Like They are big. Yeah. I wouldn't want to piss one off. But yeah. But, right. but we also know a lot from her work where we see this more gentle side, like which think, was not available yeah. to people. I think they're so cute and so smart. I just love them. Honestly, there's only a few monkeys that I find kind of ugly. Which ones? There's the one with like the big balls. <laughs> what? They're like massive balls. Is it like a bonobo or bonobos or something? They're like have they like they're like kind of like rapey. Like I think they're like sexual and they have really massive balls. Like, oh. Look, I could be fucking wrong. And there's like another one too, but most of them are like fucking cute as hell. I love look most when primates. I grew up. I grew up with movies with chimpanzees wearing fucking diapers. Yeah, like, so did I. I like those fucking. I like chimps. Like I wanted a fucking chimp so bad with a diaper. Right. The cutest fucking little animal. With that a little, would like, like blow a raspberry. And they had like the mouth that looked like a half a coconut. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they're fucking cute. Curious yeah. George. Come on. They're cute. Um, so she studied Swahili and she took like a class on primatology during the eight months it took her to get this visa and funding to start this program. And in December of 1966, she arrived in Nairobi. Now, Fossey uh, began her field study in the Congo in early 1967. Uh, She kind of learned basic gorilla tracking and she had a tracker to help her sort of find these gorillas and start sort of making like inroads with them because they were not used to having human beings around. Right. So her early work was like literally painstakingly slow to get close to the gorillas. She started imitating their behavior. Now she really didn't have any formal training in this. This was all her own instincts and what she learned from working in occupational therapy with children. Like she kind of took that and used it to work with these um, animals. In an interview with the BBC in 1984, she said, Oh, sorry. She said, I'm an inhibited person, and I felt that the gorillas were somewhat inhibited as well. So I imitated their natural, normal behavior, like feeding, munching on celery stalks, or scratching myself. She would also beat her chest with her fist and copy their belch-like calls. Now, her patience and quiet demeanor finally pays off. She gained the gorillas' trust and was able to observe them undisturbed. She soon, she soon started to see like which gorillas belonged with which families and learned that the key role was played by the dominant silverback male in each family. Um, when you're watching the movie, there's like scenes where she's observing them, and it is really like a sort of a peaceful, beautiful movie because you're like in this nature watching these gorillas. Like, yeah. I don't know. I, I really like the movie. Um, so this method of gaining their trust is called habituation. And like a lot of people sort of praise this as her greatest gift to the world, um, including a gorilla conservationist named Ian Redman who worked with her during this period. Um, he said it really helped lead to human gorilla friendships Uh, According to him, quote, I mean that seriously, gorillas are so like us and they can see they're like us. They are as fascinated by us as we are by them. They actually inspected us physically, pulled our lips down and looked at our teeth. They were very curious about this gorilla-like animal that does different things to them. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash HCS. The gorilla is one of the most maligned animals in the world, said Fossey. 
After more than 2,000 hours of direct observation, I can account for less than five minutes of what might be called aggressive behavior. Fossey started naming the gorillas she studied and shared their characteristics, just as Jane Goodall did with her chimpanzees. So it was really personalized as well. Uh, and that was really inspiring to people who started having an interest and concern about the well-being of this colony of gorillas. Now, when she arrived in the Congo at this time, it was it was a very turbulent time. They were under the rule of uh, Mobutu, who was like sort of like a lieutenant general who took over the country, like in a military coup. Um, he declared himself president. It's kind of known as the Congo crisis. So it was like a turbulent time. In July of 1967, soldiers arrived at the camp and escorted uh, Diane Fossey and all of her researchers out of the area. She was interred at Rumont. Rumangabo for two weeks and it was eventually escaped by bribing the people to let her out. So she was kind of imprisoned for a few weeks. Now at that point, she's obviously advised not to return to the Congo because it's a pretty fucking dangerous area. She meets Leaky in Nairobi and agrees with him that she should go continue her studies on the Rwanda side of this mountain range called the Varangas. So in September of 1967, she founds the Karasaki Research Center, which is a rainforest camp nestled um, between these two volcanoes in this kind of mountain range. Uh, she immediately like strikes up this bond with the um, gorillas that are there because she's already kind of gone through the experience. So it goes a little faster for her this time. And the locals are literally awestruck by her. They call her the woman who lives in the forest without a man. The other aspect that's going on now is that these gorillas do have some contact with human be- human beings, but they're poachers. So oh. it's a very negative uh, connotation with human beings. Um, right. So even though it kind of she has more experience, there is that aspect that she's dealing with that she wasn't dealing with before. Now she has all these people help helping her, like research students. And they really can't stand, like, it becomes difficult for them to handle this area. It's very cold. It's dark. The conditions are, like, muddy. When you're watching the movie, like, it's very, like, like well, it's called Gorillas in the Mist. It's, like, foggy. And, yeah. and like, you can just picture how wet it probably was right. at all times. Um, they're also in this area where they have to use machetes because there's six-foot-tall grass that they have to cut through a lot of this stuff to get to the areas they need to get to study these gorillas. Now, another thing students and researchers had to overcome was Diane's personality. She is not really, she's kind of a prickly personality. Really? Uh, Yes. So she didn't really provide them with a lot of comfort or companionship. She wasn't an easy person to live or work with, and she was like a real loner. Now, she could be extremely charming and charismatic, but she would also be hostile like, like back and forth, almost like a, maybe like a borderline type personality, like just hot and cold. Like you didn't know what you were going to get with her. There were like long periods where she wouldn't communicate with anyone except sending handwritten notes. Um, one of her friends and, uh, another primatologist named Kelly Stewart, who worked with her for many years, uh, she said that she was a hard person to be friends with. She demanded complete loyalty, but she you never know whether she was going to love or hate you that day. She could be very charming, a lot of fun, and very supportive, and then she would turn on you. Diane also had faltering health at this time. By the time uh, Stewart arrived in 1973, she wasn't even spending that much time with the gorillas anymore. She was uh, suffering from emphysema. like She was a lifelong smoker, so she's like 
uh, I think she's like in her forties at this point, but she was already suffering the effects of this, like smoking. This was aggravated by the high mountain altitude and the dampness that she was in. So she, she couldn't really conduct field research as much anymore because she had shortness of breath and she would have to kind of go on these hikes and do these climbing up this mountain with an oxygen tank at this point. So she was really like not well. Um, and I, I'm sure that made her grumpy too, because I'm kind of getting grumpy thinking about it. <laughs> think just thinking about hiking and holding like an oxygen tank. It seems like, like it's heavy. It seems like really difficult. So despite all of this, she's still in control of this research camp, but her focus eventually goes from research to an obsession with stopping poachers. Okay, so poaching, like they're in this area in Rwanda and poaching has been illegal since the 1920s, but it's a law that is rarely enforced by the park conservators who are often bribed by poachers. And like they earn less money than the people who are working for Diane Fossey. Like they earn zero money. So it's very easy to bribe these people uh, to kind of get, get, you know, get poachers to the animals. Now on three occasions, Diane writes that she witnessed the aftermath of the capture of an infant gorilla. Now they're trying to get these for zoos and stuff like that. So gorillas will fight to the death to protect their babies. So the kidnappings would often result in the deaths of up to 10 adult gorillas who are trying to protect their baby, like or the baby that's part of their group or family. She starts financing patrols to destroy poachers' traps in the area, like where her um, research study area is. In four months in 1979, um, her patrol consisting of just four staffers destroys 987 poacher traps in the vicinity of her research area. Uh, There's like another part, an eastern portion of the park that was not patrolled by Fosse and poachers there virtually eradicated all the park's elephants for ivory and killed more than a dozen gorillas. She actually helps arrest several poachers and many of them end up sending, uh, serving long prison uh, sentences. In 1978, she attempts to prevent the export of two young gorillas named Coco and Pucker from Rwanda to a zoo in Germany. Now, during the capture of these two infants uh, for the Cologne Zoo, um, 20 adult gorillas are killed while they're trying to capture these babies. The infant gorillas are then given to Fosse because they're injured during this capture, so they need her to heal them. So she basically like heals these babies um, and then they take them and send them to the zoo anyway, where they basically die nine years later in captivity. Um, What? They die? Yeah, in the zoo. So obviously that's not like their life expectancy. They should live much longer lives. Uh, So obviously Diane Fossey is not a fan of zoos, which she considers prison uh, for animals for the enjoyment of people. Now, the... Gorillas from like rival gangs of the mountains that are not part of Fosse studies, um, they're being poached like five to 10 at a time. Um, so she's really protecting her gorillas with her anti-poaching patrols. Like none of her gorillas are ever poached, the ones that are in her research area that are protected. All of that changes in 1977. Now, Diane is particularly close to several of the gorillas. She names a silverback after her beloved Uncle Bert and a female after her aunt Flossie, but her favorite was a Wait, young- her aunt's name is Flossie Fossie? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I don't know if it maybe it was her mom's. I'm saying Just it's Just say it's Flossie Fossie. That's a good name. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> her favorite, though, 
is a young gorilla with a broken finger she names Aww. Digit. Aww. Okay. On New Year's Day in 1977, Digit is killed by poachers. <gasps> now, he's sort of a leader of Steady Group 4, and he was basically defending his group against six poachers and their dogs who ran across this gorilla study group while who they were... Who was defending? He defended his gorillas against these poachers. Digit did. Digit So when did. Digit was grown up. He's a young gorilla. He's not a baby. He's not a baby, but he's no, young he's like point. a... Yeah. So he... They were going there to check antelope trap lines, and they came across this gorilla study group, and were like, "Hey, like, let's make some fucking money." Now he took five spear wounds. Uh, he did manage to kill one of the poacher's dogs, um, and he his defense let thirteen members of his group escape. Now poachers would sell gorilla hands as delicacies, like magic charms, and to make ashtrays. After his mutilated body was discovered by Ian Redman. Uh, Diane Fossey's group did capture one of the killers and he named the other five accomplices and three of those were later imprisoned. Now, obviously at this point, this is her first loss of her gorillas to poachers. Uh, and she's, it's like her favorite gorilla. So she is overcome by grief, like obviously. And she wrote in a 1981 article in National, National Geographic, it was the ultimate blow for a woman on an increasingly personal mission to take on the poachers. The mutilated body, head and hands, hacked off for grisly tro- trophies, lay limp in the brush like a bloody sack. For me, this killing was probably the saddest event in all of my years sharing the daily lives of mountain gorillas. There are times when one cannot accept facts for fear of shattering one, one's being. All of Digit's life since my first meeting with him is a playful little ball of black fluff 10 years earlier poured through my mind. From that dreadful moment on, I came to live with an insulated part of myself. Now, after Digit's death, she really retreated to her cabin and and stopped communicating at all with colleagues and friends. Her drinking and smoking, which was already pretty big, became even heavier. So she really started drinking and fucking pounding cigarettes. And she was depressed. Like she went into a fucking mega depression. Later that year, the silverback of Digit's group, Uncle Bert, was shot in the heart while trying to save his son, Quelly, from being seized by poachers who were, who were cooperating with a Rwandan park conservator. Quelly's mother, Macho, was also killed by the poachers, but Quelly did survive the initial attack because of his father and his mother trying to save him. He was only three years old and he did die shortly after because of his wounds. He got gangrene. Mm. Um, but like once again, Uncle Bert, who was the silverback, like the dominant of the group, he pretty much, you know, saved the other people in the family. But Diane was obviously devastated again. She wrote, Quelly died from bullet wound complications combined, I think, with acute depression. He was buried between his mother and father who lay next to Digit. All three adults, in effect, had died so that he might live. Now, she creates the Digit Fund uh, in his honor and starts raising money for more anti-poaching patrols. Um, And she really becomes more intense in protecting the gorillas against poachers. Uh, Stewart, who I mentioned earlier, said, When I first got there, she was mercurial but already angry. She was in warrior mode and fighting mode. Her love for gorillas and her hatred of poachers really colored her behavior. And some people think it eventually got in the way of rational management of the research center. 
she began to employ more extreme tactics fighting them. And these are things that are not really explored in Gorilla in the Mist, Gorillas in the Mist, uh, which I said is kind of a sanitized biopic. Now, here's some of the things I'm going to tell you that she used to do to, to fight these poachers. She would load up on firecrackers, cheap toys, and magic tricks in order to mystify them and keep them at bay, even wearing like a Halloween mask to pose as a witch because they all believed in like black magic. So she would try to like like spook them that she was some kind of witch that would like cast spells on them and that would like fend them off. She would also pay armed guards to like literally stand and guard the gorillas and they would shoot at the poachers. Whoa. Like, yeah. Um, when she would catch a poacher, she would interrogate and humiliate them. She threatened to hang a poacher. She smeared goat gorilla shit on one of the poachers. Wait, she, goat gorilla shit? No, go, gorilla shit. Oh, okay. <laughs> gorilla shit. Um, sorry. You said goat gorilla I stuttered. Shit. My God, Rachel. <laughs> I'm, not everyone can just cleanly, perfectly say every word when they're telling the story at 11.30 p.m. Oh, yeah. I forgot. <laughs> um. William, um, sorry, Bill Weber and Amy Vetter, who are a husband and wife team who like worked with her. Um, they described in their book about their time with Diane. Um, it's called in the kingdom of gorillas, a gruesome, uh, incident that happened with one of the poachers. She pistol whipped a man (gasps) who uh, was suspected of poaching on her reserve and then supervised his prolonged torture at the camp, including rubbing stingle nettles on his penis and testicles. Dude. Yeah. Pretty intense. not cool. He was then given Valium to sort of... Valium? Valium to send him into a state of extreme uh, disorientation. And when he came to, Diane told him that he she had taken his mind away, then given it back. And next time she would keep it. So she's like doing some pretty fucked up... Diane's uh, kind of fucked up. Dude, she's fucked up. Which you would not know from watching the movie because she just comes off as like a Di- like a um, Jane Goodall type. Like right. I mean, she's like a little tough in that movie for sure, but it's like but not justified doing this. They're not doing the stinging nettles bit and gorillas in the mist, right? Uh, so have you ever got like uh, touched by stinging nettle before? No, I have. You have? Yes. Where when I was you- a kid, where are they? Like what? Dude, there was one in Marin County. There was like a stinging nettle plant and I rubbed up against it and immediately my skin broke out in a rash, like right on the area. And it was really itchy. But do people cook with that now? Nettles. Yeah. Yeah. Nettles. People cook with nettles. But it's not stinging nettles. It's different. I don't know. You can at me on that. I don't care. Uh, So, yeah. Now that Wall Street Journal article I mentioned earlier, uh, he also really goes into it in that article. He... um, he describes her as being um, an alcoholic. He also kind of accuses her of some racism, like basically saying she treated the gorillas better than the African people who lived around her and like things like that. Yeah. I mean, she is criticized for some of the um, habitual habitualization stuff too, but I'm not going to get into that because it's too, um, it's too anthropo, like that world. I'm just like, okay, I don't know enough about that world, but whatever. She has criticism for that. She confronts a poacher, demanding his gun. Um, he refuses. She vandalizes his house and threatens to kidnap his son. She actually brings the boy back no. to the camp. Yeah. So she returns him the next day, but at that point, she's already in trouble. She's prosecuted and fined. Um, people don't like her there, so like no one's really standing up for her. And even the people she works with are kind of like, uh, you crossed the line? Yeah. So... 
she does have to go back to the U.S. Um, she eventually raises enough money to return, um, but the government at that point realizes that the gorillas can attract wealthy tourists to Rwanda, and they try to protect the tourists. Like they're like, well, we're not giving that fucking money up. Uh, they resented her interference with that those efforts even more. She like goes so far as like firing pistols over the head of what she calls pompous U.S. tourists. Um, like when they enter the area, like she shoots over their head and she fears that they can infect the gorillas with human diseases, which is possible, by the way. So she's not completely off, but you can't just shoot people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look. <laughs> so she's getting more and more frustrated because um, the government is working against her, basically. Um, she threatens to show the world evidence of the poaching that they're letting happening, as well as gold smuggling. So at this point, she pretty much has pissed everyone off in the area. Uh, as I mentioned before, go home, even Diane. her friends at I know Diane get go, fucked like something. Go like, home, seriously. So despite all of this kind of bullshit, Jane Goodall does write: if Diane hadn't done what she would have done, there would be no gorillas left in Rwanda to study. So they're killing animals, but they're also really poor. Like yeah, so it's she's like also a, like this white lady coming in and kind of just oh yeah, taking I mean over. There's a lot of writing on that kind of stuff too, which I'm just not even going to get into, but like, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's a mess. Like there's a lot going on for sure. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Sure. In the early morning of December 27th, 1985, Fosse is discovered murdered in the bedroom of her cabin, which is located at the far edge of the camp. Her body is found face up near the two beds where she slept, roughly seven feet away from a hole that whoever killed her like cut in the wall of the cabin. Wayne Richard McGuire, her research assistant, was summoned to the scene um, by Fossey's house servant, and he found her bludgeoned to death, reporting that, quote, when I reached down to check her vital signs, I saw her face had been split diagonally with one machete blow. Um, it was actually a machete she herself had confiscated from a poacher and had in her cabin. Whoa. The cabin was littered with broken glass and overturned furniture. Um, her nine millimeter handgun and ammunition was right beside her on the floor. She she did fear for her life and she did have a gun like right by her, but she obviously did not get a chance to use it. Robbery was not believed to be the motive for the crime, as most of her valuables were still in the cabin, including her passport, handguns, and thousands of dollars in U.S. uh, cash and traveler's checks. The last entry in her diary read, When you realize the value of all life, you dwell less on what is past and concentrate more on the preservation of the future. Now, after her death, her entire staff is arrested, including... um, Rowell Lacana, a tracker who had been um, fired from his job after he allegedly tried to kill her with a machete, according to the government. Police charged her assistant, Wayne McGuire, with murder to steal, and they kind of basically said he was trying to steal her research, helped by this tracker. All were later released except for Rowell Lacana. Um, the U.S. Embassy basically 
were not trustworthy of the Rwandan government and they smuggled McGuire home. The tracker unfortunately died in jail. They said it was a suicide, though guards believed he was murdered to hide the truth. So the tracker didn't kill her, but they accused the tracker. He of was in jail her. for killing her, but he never was tried or anything like that. So no one knows what happened there. Uh, but I'm going to get into more later. So yeah, I don't think he did it. Uh, Rwandan courts later tried and convicted McGuire in absentia for her murder. Now, as I mentioned before, the alleged motive was that he murdered her in order to steal the manuscript of the sequel to her 1983 book, Gorillas in the Mist. At the trial, investigators said that he was not happy with his own research and wanted to use any dishonest means possible to complete his work. Now, he had returned to the United States in July of 1987, and there's no extradition treaty between the U.S. and Rwanda, so he pretty much um, was fine to stay in America. And his guilt, though, even though he was like, convicted no one buys that he he did it like n- literally no one thinks that he's the one who did this it. guy mcguire yeah and his, that was like her main research assistant now he did give a statement when he returned to the u.s um he said that fossey was his friend and mentor her death is tragic and that the charges were outrageous he said diane believed she was going to be killed she said if you ever hear firing at night don't worry about me just get out as fast as you can i did not kill diane i was her friend and had everything to lose from her death now, Diane was buried at Karasoki in the site um, with un- Uncle Bert and Aunt Flossie and Digit. Like, she's in that gorilla graveyard with those those gorillas that were her life. Um, she's actually buried right next to Digit. Um, a will where she bequeathed all of her estate to the Digit Fund to, like, pay for these anti-poaching patrols. Uh was contested by her mom, whose name, by the way, is Hazel Fossey. Just like the oldest name ever, even worth. It's up there with Flossy Fossey. <laughs> Not quite as good. Um, so she, the mom protested the will and actually won, and she got awarded Diane's estate, which was actually four point nine million dollars. Whoa! Because her book was a fucking hit. The book Gorillas in the Mist, and then the movie rights were sold. That's crazy. The mom contested the will so that she yes. would get the money. Yes. Now she said that she's going to use them. She was going to use the money, but I didn't see any evidence of that. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know what she fucking did, but isn't that That's wild? Wild. Yeah, because it's like, what about your your fucking husband who was an asshole? Like, so. Yeah. Sounds like Diane was kind of an asshole too, though. Yeah, the whole family's a mess. But don't, but don't, but help Fuck, the gorillas. The gorillas didn't do anything. They didn't do like, anything seriously. wrong. Seriously, I've mentioned that um, they had this reputation as being violent brutes who would kill human beings on its sight, and she completely demolished that myth with her work, showing that they were gentle. They had individual personalities. They had whole social circle circles, and were very much like human beings Did in those know, kind of ways. Do you know what Coco the gorilla's favorite movie is? <laughs> What? Tea with Mussolini. Oh, really? Have you seen Tea with Mussolini? Is that with John Plowright? It's with Cher. Okay, I have seen that. It's great. It's a, such an underrated gem. Yeah. Um, so she made a lot of discoveries about gorillas, including that females transfer from group to group over decades, all about their vocaliz- vocalization, hierarchy, social relationships, like their diets, how they recycle nutrients, tons of stuff. Now, during the 1994 Rwandan genocide, the camp is completely looted and destroyed. Um, Nothing really remains of that original area where all of this work took place. And another sort of side effect of that is that they lost any clues 
or evidence they might have been able to find to investigate what happened to her um, past that initial investigation, which everyone says was kind of a sham. Now, she did this work with David Attenborough in the 70s, and he had this to say, if anyone could say that they saved a species, I think Diane could say it. She would do anything to protect them, and if human beings got in the way, then too bad. That is not the way to win friends and influence people, and in the end, she paid the price. Diane Fossey did not just save gorillas, she helped to create a national treasure too. Now, this footage of her and David Attenborough playing with young gorillas is like one of the most famous natural history sequences ever. Like the footage of that is really, really fucking iconic. Um, like he he would have never been able to got so close if he didn't have Diane helping him get to those gorillas. Is he like wrestling around with them? What is he doing with I them? I think they're just watching them play. Like just to film them never had happened before. So right. it's like one of those things where we don't think it's a big deal. But back then it was like amazing to see these animals acting naturally in front of the camera. Like right. that was sort of what it was, I think. Um, because they have such highly developed social skills, I think it made it even harder because once they saw you, they had to trust you to be normal. Like, yeah. Because they're smart. Like, So this was an iconic moment and it actually almost didn't happen because it, he came to film this right after Digit was killed. So it was one of those things where he was like, oh, she's not going to want to film now because her fucking favorite you know, closest gorilla just got fucking murdered basically. But she was like, no, this is important. And she kind of like got out of her depression, drunk smoking cabin and did this video. Now to this day, even though this guy is convicted, basically her murder is considered unsolved. Now, uh, one of her coworkers um, who arrived at her cabin shortly after her death, like kind of confirmed what everyone was already thinking, that there was just blood all over the carpet. Investigators were just kind of walking through the crime scene and like no one was trying to collect evidence. Like it was like one of those bungled crime scenes completely. The first theory that's obvious, like that people think is more sort of the more obvious explanation is that she was killed by the poachers um, that she had battled for all of those years. But a lot of people sort of dismiss this as a possibility because poachers are rural people with very limited means. And like the idea that they would do this kind of thing and know the camp well enough to find her and kill her was sort of unlikely. Um, They also ransacked her cabin and didn't steal anything. Like that didn't make sense either, either because it's like they're literally poor and need money and supplies. Like they would have probably taken those things. Um, They also sort of live this like sort of secret life. Like they're used to like hiding and staying out of sight. Like the last thing they want to do is like, bring more like law after them, Mm -hmm. like, cause they're already kind of doing this illegal thing. So they don't want to be confronted. So like a lot of people just don't buy that the poachers would have done it. Um, so other people believe that it could have been local gold smugglers. The research center lied near Rwanda's border and the border of the Congo and Uganda. Um, and that was like a, a route for smugglers going between these three countries because they're kind of all meeting together in these three corners. And she supposedly had evidence that this was happening and the smugglers wanted to retrieve this evidence from her. Evidence of the smuggling. Yes. A letter about gold smuggling was sent to um, her coworker weeks before her death, but never arrived. And a copy was found in her files, uh, which makes people think that people 
confiscated the letter and knew about her plans to expose this gold smuggling operation in the mountains um, between these three countries. Now, in 2001, Rwandan authorities said that Proteus, I can't say this name, he's also called Monsieur Zed, so I'll just call him Monsieur Zed. He was the governor of a province during Fossi's time in that region. They, they claimed that he ordered her death, according to The Guardian. Um, Monsieur Zed spent eight years on trial for war crimes committed during the 1994 Rwandan genocide, and he was acquitted of those, but never charged with his murder. Um, now, uh, an investigator who wrote a book about her death, um, he came to a similar conclusion and he said that she was killed because she knew too much about illegal animal trafficking and but among Rwanda's like ruling elite and that her efforts to restrict guerrilla related tourism also infuriated them. So he thinks like some powerful people in charge of, or in the government were the ones who kind of ordered her death to kind of get rid of her. Um, Fossey uh, describes gathering a lot of information about poaching from a frightened poacher she had captured. captured. And in this uh, document, she wrote, there are names on this list that would mean big trouble if they were released. So that kind of lends credibility to the idea that it was these higher up kind of Rwandan people. Now, According to Stewart, um, this was sort of the fitting end to a life full, full of strife and fighting with all these people. She said, if Diane had been writing a movie script about her life, that's how she would have ended it. Being murdered in her cabin was like dying like the warrior she was. I think she would have approved of that ending. In 2014, on the 82nd anniversary of her birth, uh, she was honored with a Google Doodle which appeared, like those appear on the search homepages. The, the doodles um, depicted a group of mountain gorillas with one touching her hair while she made notes in her journal. And another sort of probably the biggest legacy that she would like is that today there are over 880 mountain gorillas up from 280 when she died. So there's a lot more. There's a lot more. It's still such a small population. Like that's an insanely low number. So yeah, that's all I have on her. Wow. I had never heard that story before. I never saw gorillas in the mist. Yeah, you should see it. So Gurney Weaver's good in it. But it's Um, heavily sanitized. Now we know. It's by Michael Michael Apted directed it and he did the Up series. I don't know if you guys have seen that, which I like a lot. Did you see the Up series? It's the up series. It's a documentary from the UK where he interviews this group of kids from seven every seven years. So he gets them at seven, 14, 21, and you see this group of kids grow up. And now it's like in the 60s, I think. Is he still interviewing them? Yeah. Whoa. It's still going on. So you can watch, I think it goes up to like 56 now. I can't remember. Wow. So you can watch all these movies and it's really good. Like, cool. So he kind of does these movies about that kind of stuff. Like, you know, watching humans and eight, like, it's a good movie. He's like a great director. Anthropological. Yeah. Shit. So if you like that kind of thing, you would like cool. up. It's a classic, classic documentary series. So, yep. Okay. Um, okay. Bye. Bye.